0: to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. I'm your host, Pastor Adrian, and this is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 28, verse 9 and 10, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study. And let's get into God's Word, line upon line. Last week we were in Luke chapter 3, and we finished off looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And there are just two verses I want to pick up from chapter 3 as we get into chapter 4. And the first is in uh, Luke 3.21, where it says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also, being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him and a voice came from heaven which said you are my beloved son in you i am well pleased and then in verse 38 of chapter 3 it says going through after going through the genealogy of uh joseph uh, christ's father then it says which was the son of enos which was the son of seth which was the son of adam which was the son of god So Luke, unlike Matthew, Matthew traced Christ's genealogy back to Abraham, speaking to a Jewish audience and wanting to understand this in fact is the descendant of Abraham and specifically the descendant of David who would sit on David's throne according to the prophecies and the covenant. But here Luke having a broader audience in mind, Luke himself was a Gentile. He was grafted into Israel, he became an Israelite. And he had this broader view in mind because he was writing to Theophilus The defense attorney for paul who took the ministry to the jews and israel but also then to the gentiles and so luke has this broader view in mind of the the whole world being called ultimately to salvation now people will sometimes criticize and look into the word of god and we say that jesus is the son of god and then they'll say oh yes well adam is the son of god and israel was the firstborn son of god and sons by the tons And yes, absolutely, that is exactly right, that God created Adam with the intent that Adam would enjoy a family relationship with him, that God was his father, Adam was the son of God, but Adam failed. And so in that failure, God then selected a man named Abraham and sought to redeem mankind through Abraham that covenant that he made with Abraham then cascaded down to Isaac cascaded down to Israel and God then set up a nation in Israel a nation of kings and priests and they were selected to be this peculiar nation to facilitate the the relationship of all mankind with God that's what it means to be a nation of priests but they failed and so that left it now to God himself to come to earth and he came to earth as an israelite he came to earth as a jew most people don't realize that that jesus christ was a jew and so he came to earth to be the perfect israelite to fulfill the covenant you see the covenant with abraham was unconditional all the conditions in fact were on god's side abraham had no conditions if you look at genesis uh, 15 he was put to sleep And so there were no conditions for for him in the covenant. God was going to do this thing through Abraham. But the covenant that he made with Moses was conditional. It was an if-then covenant. If you do this, this, and this, then I will do this, this, and this. But if you do that, that, and that, then I will do that, that, and that. And so when you read, when you understand the covenant with Moses, and then you read Deuteronomy and see how it's spelled out, particularly Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30, and then read Judges, and 1 Kings, and 2 Kings, and 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles. You just see how precise God is with His Word. And so Israel failed. All the things that that the covenant said would bring curses upon them, they did all those things. And so they were exiled from the land, and all these curses came upon them. And God now, seeing that the covenant was broken, He came to earth. He came, the Son of God came to earth to be the perfect Israelite. And so we see in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45, and so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a life-giving spirit. God himself came to fulfill where Adam failed. How be it, verse 46, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual the first man is of the earth earthy the second man is the Lord from heaven and so the Lord from heaven came and because he came he enabled a second covenant and the first covenant was natural the second covenant is spiritual the first covenant the law of God was written on stones with the second covenant with the same people the second covenant is not with Gentiles the second covenant is with Israel and with Judah and God writes in the hearts of Israel and Judah his law. It is a spiritual covenant. So let's, with that as context, let's now go to Luke 4, verse 1. But keep that in mind that the second Adam has come to fulfill where the first Adam failed. The second Adam has come. As Israel, as the perfect Israelite, to fulfill the terms and conditions of the covenant, the mechanism through which God would save the world, he has come to fulfill those conditions and lawfully inherit the land and enable God to do everything that he said he would do without breaking his law. God is not capricious. God is not arbitrary. God is very specific, he's very precise, and he's a God of his word. It's impossible for God to lie. And so any quote unquote religion, any ideology, any philosophy that makes up a God that is all powerful and can just do whatever he wants, it is a false religion, it is false ideology, it is false philosophy. What makes God God is that he is righteous. And what makes him righteous is it's impossible for him to lie. He keeps his word. And so we have to study his word line by line, here a little, there a little. For precept must be upon precept and line upon line. We have to understand this God and how precise he is. So let's begin now in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan. So he's full of the Holy Spirit because he was baptized. And the Holy Spirit came down from heaven in, in, in a bodily form. Everybody could see this. And it landed upon him. And so now being full of the Holy Spirit... He returned from Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness. So this is significant. He was led by the spirit. It, it's God's will that he go into the wilderness. And the wilderness is a horrible place. The wilderness is a place people go to die. The wilderness is a place full of scorpions and vipers and, and uh, there's, it's hard to find water. This is a very difficult terrain. But he's going into the wilderness specifically led by the Spirit now in verse 2 it says being 40 days tempted by the devil so for 40 days while he's in the wilderness the devil is tempting him and this 40 days is really this uh, day for a year principle where Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years and they failed in the wilderness the devil overcame them in the wilderness And now Christ, becoming the perfect Israelite, is mirroring their journey. And so he's now in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by the devil every single day. In this period of weakness, the devil is trying to conquer him. And in those days, he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. So most people think that we're going to come to these uh, three significant temptations now by the devil, and most people think that it's just those three temptations. But what the scripture is telling us is that for 40 days, the devil was relentless. While Christ was fasting, he was eating nothing, he was weak, and the devil was just relentless for 40 days, 40 nights, nonstop trying to overthrow him. Because the devil understood his, the significance of his arrival on earth. That he was coming as the true Israelite to, to uh, overthrow the devil. That the devil overthrew Adam and seized the kingdom from Adam. Adam was a king. Adam was a king and Adam bowed to the devil. And so he, the, the, Adam became the subject of the devil. And the devil became king of the earth, which was really Adam's role. But now this second Adam has come to be the rightful king of the earth and to take the kingdom back from the devil. And so the devil understands this, and he's now trying to overthrow Christ the same way he overthrew overthrew Israel in the wilderness when they were destined to be the kings and priests of the earth. And so here in verse 3, the devil said to him, if you be the son of God, remember that's the whole, so so, um, Adam was the son of God, but he failed. And now the son of God has come to the earth to fulfill the covenant with Israel and the devil said unto him if you be the son of god command this stone that it be made bread so this is the first now now the de- devil is desperate he's been 40 days 40 nights uh, tempting christ but christ has succeeded in the wilderness now at the end of this period he's it, it's all out now it's all out warfare the psychological spiritual warfare and so now he's questioning him to say well you're not really the son of god if you are the son of god command this stone that it be made bread and Jesus answered him saying it is written that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God so Christ was so and remember we saw in Luke 2 when he was 12 years old how he was in the temple searching the scriptures asking the rabbis questions the, the rabbis were asking him questions and he was answering the questions and he was becoming fully conversant with the Word of God and at the age of 30 now he begins his ministry and he's attacked now by the devil and notice how he defends himself he defends himself with the Word of God so the devil is saying command that these stones be made you're hungry you've been fasting for 40 days 40 nights you're hungry you need food if you're the son of God then it's simple just command that these stones be made bread Christ withstands the devil with the Word of God And he answered him saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Christ is quoting from the Torah. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1. Moses wrote, All the commandments which I command you this day shall you observe to do, that you may live. So you may live if you observe these commandments, these commandments are the commandments of life. All the commandments which I command you this day, shall you observe to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. This is all about land. This covenant is all about land and a relationship with God that you're going to dwell in a specific area of real estate you're going to be raised up as a nation of kings and priests and from this very specific piece of real estate you're going to facilitate a relationship with me with all mankind and so it's not that israel was waiting for their messiah so they could be whisked off to go to heaven they weren't oh oh here he is oh he's going to take us to heaven that was never their 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 perspective their perspective was always we are going to be king priests and we have, we have been unfaithful and we've lost our position, but the Messiah is coming to reestablish us as kings and priests. And so here in Deuteronomy, it says, if they follow the commandments, they'll live and they'll go in and possess the land, the promised land, which the Lord swore unto your fathers. It's a promise. And you shall remember, verse two, all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble you and to prove you to know what is in your heart so just as god led israel into the wilderness for 40 years the spirit led jesus christ into the wilderness for 40 days israel was proven to test what is in their heart whether they would keep his commandments or not christ understands that he must prove that he will do the will of god that it is not about his will it's not about his self-preservation it's about doing the will of god and so he's quoting back to the devil now this this writing in deuteronomy to say we it's not about just, it's not about bread it's about doing the will of god verse three of deuteronomy eight and he humbled you and suffered you to hunger just as christ then went into the wilderness and hungered they were in the wilderness and they were hungering and fed you with manna which you knew not neither did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread only but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the lord does man live and this is the this this is the power of christ to quote the word of god back to the devil and say it's not about bread and i'm not gonna fall for that just as adam now he adam failed because Eve was deceived, if you read the, the account in Genesis 3. Eve was deceived. She didn't understand what was going on. She didn't get the direct commandments from God. She got them from Adam. And and the devil was able to get in and twist up her mind, and she fell for it. And he twisted up her mind with self-interest. That if you take that fruit, it's gonna make you wise. It, it's, de- it's desirable for it. It looks beautiful, and it tastes wonderful, and it will make you wise like God. And so she acted on that, out of self-interest this was good for her adam then did the same thing he knew now so she didn't know that she was actually breaking the commandment she was deceived the scripture tells us she was deceived but adam knew he understood very clearly that this was a command from god because he received it directly from god but because he wanted to be with his wife he didn't want to lose her he chose deliberately to rebel against god both of them acted out of self-interest here the son of God comes to earth and the the Satan uses the same technique hey you're hungry it's all about you you need bread if you're the son of God attacks his ego now why don't you turn the stones into bread so that you can eat and Christ just responds and says you know what it's not about me it's about God and it's about obeying every word of God because God is faithful and God God will will fulfill whatever we need we actually live not by bread but by our obedience to God, because God loves us. And this is what Adam and Eve should have realized when the devil attacked them and overthrew them, that God loves them. God gave them every tree of the garden, gave them everything. It was all theirs freely. Just don't eat from this one tree. Well, here Christ quotes Deuteronomy, and then the devil doesn't stop there. So 40 days of attacking Christ, then this first, uh, you know, a, a, a relentless attack this relentless attack for 40 days 40 nights and now this first uh, uh, missive this first attack to get him to this, this is it now let's get him to to act in a way of self-interest so that he fails Luke 4 verse 5 and the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time so he's showing him now all the kingdoms of the world but not necessarily at that time he's showing them all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and that's important to understand now to understand this verse why it's important that he's showing him all the kingdoms of the world we need to go back to genesis 10. in genesis 10 in verse 6 we see here that the sons of ham cush uh, father of ethiopia Mizraim, the father of uh, Egypt; Foot, the father of uh, Libya; Canaan, father of uh, parts of Africa; and the sons of Cush, Seba and Havilah and Sabta and Rama and Sabteca; and the sons of Rama, Sheba and Dedan; and Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. So Moses is now saying that after the flood, uh, there's a particular individual. That became renowned became famous and his name was Nimrod and he became a mighty one in the earth he was a powerful man a powerful hunter and everybody started to bow to him It says he was a mighty hunter the the English says before the Lord a better translation from the Hebrew would be against the Lord he was a mighty hunter against the Lord therefore it is said even as Nimrod the mighty hunter and again it says before the Lord it's like in his face uh, against the Lord and the beginning of his kingdom the beginning Moses wants us to understand this man ultimately his kingdom grew and it became very significant and it began in Babel really this is the beginning of Babylon it began in Babel and Iraq or the area we saw Iraq Iraq the Middle East here Began in, in Babel and Iraq and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. So, this is all in that area of uh, Assyria, Iraq, uh, Syria, uh, that Middle Eastern area. Out of that land went forth Asher or Assur and built Nineveh and the city Rehoboth. And the, uh, you know, we, these are significant cities and significant empires that were set up from Nimrod and Kala. And reason between Nineveh and Kala. The same is a great city now fast forward to Genesis 11 and verse 1 Moses writes and the whole earth was of one language the whole earth spoke the same language but it didn't stop there he says the whole earth was of one language and of one speech so the language is the tool that we use. I'm speaking English. If you're listening to me, you're, you're, you speak English as well. But we may not have the same speech. That is the same ideology, the same philosophy, the thoughts that come out of our mind, that we use we used the language to, to speak our thoughts. But the whole world here, not only were they of one language, they shared the ideology. And it was the ideology of Nimrod. He set the agenda for all mankind. So he now became the, the emperor Of the world and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar this is again where Nimrod was ruling so they were coming to him and they dwelt there and they said to one another go to come on let us make brick and burn them thoroughly and they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. so they this is advanced technology for the time because they wanted to create something permanent. And they said, come, let us build us a city and a tower. So it's a city and a tower. This is the combination of politics, that's the city, and then the philosophy that justifies the politics, which is the religion. So when you're gonna control mankind, you need the political mechanism to do so, but you need to justify it, you need philosophy. You need ideology. You need some sort of a religious justification for your, for your rulership, that you are, you, you're the son of God or you're the son of the, 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 the ancestors. or There needs to be some justification that people don't overthrow you, that they look at you and they accept your, your quote-unquote divine rule. And so they say, let us build a city and a tower. So there's a religious significance and a political significance here, whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So they could see that they could get this control over mankind, they're remembering the flood, they don't want that to happen again and so they're setting up a way that this tower, their ruler, would sit at the top of the tower so that if there was a flood, he would be spared and they could they could rebuild and you know the, the, the elite would be would be would be spared. It's like today where the elite may have bunkers so that if there is a nuclear war they make sure that they're looked after. And then, you know, when it's when the trouble is passed they can they can rebuild. And he says, let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men built. And the Lord said, behold, the people are one. And they have all one language. And this they begin to do. So the notion that, you know, united nations, and we should all be one, and isn't it a wonderful thing if all mankind can get together. God was very concerned when all mankind gets together in rebellion against him. Ultimately, he will bring all mankind together when they, when they finally submit to him. But in this state of rebellion from Adam, it is not a good, a good idea. When, when mankind harnesses and pools all of his resources together, it's bad news because of the evil in man's heart. And so the Lord said, behold, the people are one, and they have all one language. So, so they have one language, and they are one in ideology. They are united in thought. And this is what they're beginning to do. Just what they're beginning to do. God could see where this was going. And he had to stop it. Because this agenda of this evil man, Nimrod, if he got his way, it would, it would destroy all the religious people, all the truly righteous people on the earth. And then God's plan of redeeming mankind would be sabotaged. And so God is determined. He's a God of his word. He's going to fulfill his plan to redeem mankind. And so this had to be stopped. And so the people have all one language. They're all united. They're all one in philosophy. And this is what they're beginning to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. So there's something in their heart. There's something in their mind. And if they all come together like this, nothing will be restrained from them. And this is significant because this is the time that we're entering into now. With, with technology like the internet, with technology like, uh, um, uh, I think there's a language, uh, software called Babel, which allows for si- uh, uh, simultaneous translation, automatic translation in a word or, or speech that as we're talking, you, I, I'm speaking Italian, but you speak Japanese, and it's just automatically going to do that, that translation for us. And so we're going back to this time of Nimrod and the heart of man has not changed and the agenda of the devil has not changed. And so you combine the agenda of the devil with the heart of wicked man and you bring wicked man united together and it's trouble. The difference between now and then is then God intervened and he stopped it. But when we read the book of Revelation what we see is God is not going to stop it. He's going to allow them to have their way. And, and they're going to have their way, and that's bad news for the followers of God. It's terrible news for the followers of God. But the followers of God, the just shall live by faith. The followers of God must remain faithful to the word of God, knowing that God is a God of his word, and he, it's impossible for God to lie. And so the wicked will have their way. The saints must remain true to the word of God. And finally, Matthew 24 says that, if it were not for, the, for God stepping in to shorten those days, and he will step in to shorten those days for the elect's sake. That if it was not the case, no flesh would be saved alive. So, so it's just a, a complete... The, the devil hates mankind. He hates mankind created in the image of God. But he will play mankind. And he will promise trinkets to mankind. And he will use mankind until he gets his way. And then he'll destroy the very people that he used. And so here God now at this stage, thousands of years ago, when they achieved this with the technology of the time, God stepped in to say, no, this cannot happen. But we're heading back to this. Verse 7, God responds, come, let us. So there's more than one that God is talking to. This is God and Christ. Christ preexisted. And that's very clear when you read the Gospel of John. Come, let us go down. And there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. So Moses makes it very clear here that there are two things at play. One is they all have the same speech. That's that's one. The second thing is they all have the same ideology, they all have the same philosophy, they share the same religious worldview. Then Moses writes that God's intervention was to break up the speech, that they could not understand one another's speech. But then Moses is silent on the ideology. So what that says is this united mankind with the Nimrod agenda, when God broke up their speech, they retained the Nimrod agenda. The Nimrod agenda of dominating other human beings made in God's image the Nimrod agenda of wanting global control over mankind. And so now the Lord scattered them abroad from there upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. So they left off to build that city, but they went to build their own cities. And as they built their own cities, they, they took with them everything they learned from the Nimrod project. And so we what we now have is different initiatives all over the earth, following this same Nimrod agenda so the foundation of civilization today's civilization is Nimrod and the Nimrod agenda and we need to understand that all these thousands of years these different nations have been pursuing this uh, political control over humans with, with some, sort, some form of religious justification for it there's got to be a religious justification for our political power and so every nation has been doing this and and all these false religions trace back to Nimrod because that, he, is, he is the original authorization of this religion and his wife Semiramis. And so here now, they're, they're going off their different ways. And we saw in the beginning that Egypt was there, uh, Kush was there, Foot was there. All of these people who were contemporaries with Nimrod and submissive, submissive to Nimrod, they now have the ability to build their empires. And the first one of significance, because it interacts with the nation of Israel, is uh, Egypt. And so we see Assyria and Egypt. We see these two. And then we see Babylon. And then we see the Greco-Macedonian Empire. And then then we see the Roman Empire. And then there's a fourth empire, or uh, uh, one coming at the end, uh, uh, the, the seventh head of this beast. But all of these beasts that are mentioned, they have the same agenda as all the other nations the only reason they are mentioned is they are interacting directly with Israel and the Bible is a book about Israel and so the the agenda that Nimrod was carrying out is part of the agenda of the devil and we need to understand his agenda in Isaiah 14 and verse 12 it says how are you fallen from heaven O Lucifer son of the morning he was a brilliant angel Lucifer the bringer of light the son of the morning and he fell Isaiah is asking here how are you fallen how are you cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations and then he gives the answer for you said in your heart i will ascend into heaven i will exalt my throne above the stars of god i will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north i will ascend above the heights of the clouds notice this i will be like the most high so in the devil's heart he believes that he should be God that that God is not a good enough God and so there he was worshiping God and serving God and he began to form in his mind that he's better than God and he should be God and and he had no idea what he was the the, the power of God that he was dealing with and so he was thrown out of heaven but he's given some time and we see right up until Revelation That Revelation 20, that he's given time. This is his time, but in Revelation 20, his time comes to an end, and he's bound for a thousand years, and then he's finally given another window of time, and then he's and and we we, we need to talk about that at some point in the future. But then he's finally bound and and destroyed. But he has a purpose now. But we his agenda is to be God, and to have all of mankind worship him, and all the angels worship him, and so he needs to operate. Among mankind, he needs a proxy, and Nimrod was his willing proxy. Just as God to operate among mankind, he comes into the earth and becomes a human being so that he can advance his will. Well, the devil, he cannot become human, but he can certainly possess humans, and he can use humans, and he used Nimrod, and and he's been using all the elite of all of the different societies and different civilizations to advance his agenda and have mankind worship him, because his agenda is to be like the Most High. So in the ancient days, when they were worshiping Nimrod, they were actually worshiping the devil. And here we see now, so this, this, the reason we're going back to Genesis is because that is giving us an indication of the future. And the future, we go to Revelation, where this, the, 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 revelation was the revelation of Jesus Christ, it was given from God to Christ, to an angel, to deliver to John so that God's servants would know the things that must shortly come to pass and we see that in Revelation 1 verse 1 so the purpose of the book of Revelation is so that the servants of God can see the things that are shortly going to come to pass and one of the things we see here in Revelation 13 and verse 4 is that the whole world worshiped the dragon satan finally gets his way and they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast and they worship the beast. So, so the beast is this person that is king over an empire that actually ends up ruling the whole world. It is the Nimrod agenda finally fulfilled. And by worshiping the beast, what they're actually doing is worshiping Satan. And by worshiping Satan, they're worshiping the beast. So, so these two are one and the same. And so they worship the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And that's important for us to note that all of these promises of utopia that these political leaders will, will, will espouse, what they really want is control. And their, 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 their father is the devil. And because the devil is violent, they will be violent. And, and the fact that human beings are made in God's image means nothing to them. They will destroy human beings, that just means nothing. It's just like changing shirts. Just get rid of that person. And so this beast is so militaristically powerful and politically powerful and becomes a war machine that he's held in awe. Who who could possibly overthrow him? So you might as well go along with him. I think it was Osama bin Laden who said, everybody wants to back the winning horse. And so it was very important for him when he was leading Al-Qaeda that they demonstrate victory, 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 because eventually people will just say, might as well get on board. These guys are winning. And in verse 7 of Revelation 13, it says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. So this is what was interrupted back in the days of Nimrod. And now God is allowing it to happen. So when they, when every imagination of their heart, they cannot have the saints inter- with a counter-narrative. They're saying one thing, the saints are saying the opposite. Just as when we saw Herod uh, was saying one thing, John the Baptist was saying the opposite and so uh, john the baptist was beheaded by uh, herod because he was preaching the opposite of what herod wanted everybody to understand and believe and so it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them but the the just shall live by faith just as abraham when he, he was an old man and sarah was an old woman and he was told by god under under a covenant that all the families of the earth will be blessed through him through his offspring and so he believed he believed and when he finally had that child of promise isaac he was told to sacrifice him and he was willing to sacrifice him because even though he's is a, the child of promise his only son truly by by the covenant if he is killed and god is a god of his word abraham understood there must be some way to bring him back to life and so all the saints of God have understood this. The just shall live by faith. And it doesn't mean live in this physical state forever. It means live eternally forever. So death is nothing. Because God is a God of his word. That just as Christ died and came back to life and we have proof of his resurrection, we have confidence in the resurrection of the saints. And so it's given to this beast to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So, he, so there will be no counter-narrative. The beast will have his way and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations here we have in revelation 13 and verse 7 the ultimate fulfillment of the nimrod agenda which is the ultimate fulfillment of the satanic agenda which we read in isaiah 14 verses 12 to 14. and so now all kindreds and tongues and all nations have have agreed the united nations they're finally all together, and they all have the same. They they have the same speech. They're going to be able to talk with each other. Have this technology that can undo the the scattering uh, and the confusion of Genesis 11. They're now going to undo that, so they can all understand each other's speech, and they're all going to have the same ideology. And in Revelation 14, in verse 8, notice this. Finally, this system is going to come down, but in verse 14, chapter 14, and verse 8 of Revelation, there followed another angel saying. Notice this, Babylon is fallen. Wait wait a minute, I I thought Babylon was way back in Genesis 10. What do you mean mean Babylon is fallen? Because that Nimrod ideology has survived all the way to our time, all the way until Christ returns. It's not until Christ returns that this ideology that began with Nimrod is finally vanquished and, 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 and utterly destroyed. But all nations have been operating under this Babylonian ideology because all nations are rooted in Nimrod and his ideology, with the one exception being Israel, which is rooted in the covenant of God. But even Israel gave themselves over to the Babylonian worship system. And so finally now, in Revelation 14, we see that this system that was put in place by Nimrod has been extant all the way up to our time, all the way until Christ returns. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations, she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This, this fornication, this combination of political and religious uh, collusion, that that the the so-called religious people are actually colluding to gain temporal control over the earth which was the Nimrod agenda and they've all colluded to participate in this and notice it says the Word of God says all nations all nations so something needs to happen between now and the return of Christ where we see all nations have agreed to a single ideology and it's an ideology that hates Christ it's an ideology that hates the, the people of god and it's an ideology that calls for their eradication let's go back to luke 4. luke 4 verse 6 so the devil takes him to a point in time and i believe that that point in time that that, that the devil was showing christ was this point in time in the future when all nations are together again and he's saying look you can be the person who has this kind of power. I'll give it to you because I have this power. I'm going to be bringing all the nations together, I'm going to be finally fulfilling this Nimrod agenda, and I can you, you could be my proxy, and I'll have them worship you and the whole world will be be in awe of you. you know, who is able to make war with the beast? They'll all be in awe of you. and so Christ if he was like the original Adam he would say wow that sounds really interesting can you explain to me exactly how this is going to work like how much glory will I have but Christ is not at all like the first Adam Luke 4 verse 6 and the devil said unto him all this power when all these nations come together this is tremendous power tremendous wealth tremendous glory the devil said unto him all this power will I give to you and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever i will give it so it was delivered unto him because he conquered adam adam was supposed to be the father of all these nations adam was supposed to be the father of all these kingdoms but he conquered adam and so rightfully he took the right to the kingdom from adam and now he can give it to whomsoever he wishes and he gave it to nimrod but god intervened and broke that up and so now we have these separate nations but at a point in time in the future all these separate nations are going to become the United Nations. They're all going to come together with a single agenda. Now, he says that he, he will give it to whomever he chooses to give it to. Luke 4 verse 7 If you therefore will worship me, all shall be yours. And so we saw that in Revelation 13 where they worship the dragon and then they worship the beast. So because the beast worships the dragon everything is given to him. And all the people worship the beast and the dragon. And so he's making this deal with Christ to say, if you will worship me, I'll give it all to you, and they'll all worship you. What does Jesus do? Jesus answered and said unto him, Get behind me, Satan. And how does he withstand Satan? For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, Christ withstands. So we, that 40 days when, when the devil was attacking Christ, we see the consistency of Christ. Christ defends himself with the Word of God. He is so knowledgeable of the Word of God that he can just spot right away which promise of God or what command of God do I need to fulfill at this point in time. And so he just, get behind me Satan. He doesn't even consider it, Not unlike Eve, who like, oh, tell me more about this fruit. And uh, you mean God is not really being straight with us and and she's entertaining the devil. Christ did not entertain the devil. Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And again there, he is quoting again from from Deuteronomy. And in verse 9, he says, the devil says, he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down from here. For it is written, so so now he's he's quoting scripture, and he's gonna quote here uh, from the Psalms, it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against the stone. And he's reading there from Psalm ninety one verse eleven, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And so the devil knows the scriptures. And so now he's saying, okay, you want to go by the scriptures? Well, this is what the scriptures say. So why don't you do this? And Jesus answering, answering him, said unto him, it is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, this is from Deuteronomy. If we read Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16, it says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you and you shall do that which is right and good in the sight of the lord that it may be well with you that you may go in and possess the good land which the lord swore unto your fathers so it's all about this covenant and being obedient to the terms and conditions of the covenant why so that you can inherit the land why so that you can be this peculiar nation of kings and priests why so that you can facilitate the redemption of mankind Carrying on back to Luke 4, verse 13. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So now the devil leaves Christ, but he says, and another translation, I think it's the New King James writes, uh, until an opportune time, which is, uh, I I like that. Uh, So he he leaves him, but he's going to look for an opportunity to come back. And here he's using the tool of seduction. He's trying to seduce Christ. But now from this point, he's going to start stirring up the the religious leaders. Again, the religious leaders are part of this Nimrodian system, where you use religion to combine with politics to dominate and control mankind and subjugate mankind. And so now he's gonna start stirring up the religious leaders who are afraid that they're going to lose their, their power. Anytime the elite, suspect that they're losing control they panic and so the devil is now going to stir up the elite the religious elite here to panic that christ is going to compromise their authority and domination over the people so now what he's going to do is start stirring these religious leaders up until he gets into a, a, a level or a position where he can cause the death of christ and so he's coming back when he gets to that point luke 4 verse 14 And Jesus returned, so he returned now from the wilderness, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. So he received the Spirit from the baptism of John. He was filled with it. He went into the wilderness. He he vanquished the devil. And now he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. Everybody was talking about him. This was an incredible rabbi that had incredible teaching and and was moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice this, verse 15. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So he he goes into the synagogues. He was a Jew, and he came to the Jews. He wasn't a Gentile, and he didn't come to the Gentiles. He was a Jew, and he came to the Jews. And he taught in, in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So they loved him in Galilee. And everywhere where he went, you know, obviously the religious, religious, religious leaders are going to start to get concerned about him. But the common people, the common folk, uh, they recognized him, and they, they appreciated him, and they valued his teachings and, and his works. But then he comes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And, notice this, as his custom was... What's that? As his custom was. He had a custom. There there was something predictable about him. There there was a, a manner that he had that you could absolutely be guaranteed he's going to follow. What was that? As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day. We call ourselves Christians, but do we follow Christ? We call ourselves Christians, but do we do what Christ did or do we do the opposite? Do we, go, do we, you know, we worship on Sunday, the, the day of the sun, which, is, which comes to us, which came into Christianity, by the way, through the Roman empire, through Constantine and the emperor after him, who, who made quote unquote Christianity, the Roman version of Christianity, the official religion. Remember the Nimrod system is to combine religion with politics and to use religion to justify the politics. And that's all they were doing. There's, they, they, Constantine kind of figured it out. If we can't beat them, because no matter how much we persecute these Christians, they just keep getting stronger. If we can't beat them, why don't we join them? Why don't we, and, and you'll see this all the time, where there's some sort of a movement that looks like it's a resistance movement and it's, it's threatening the establishment, and they just, uh, they just end up appropriating it and bringing it into part of the culture, and that way they neutralize it. Well, here, at Constantine figured out in the fourth century that we can just use Christianity and make it the official religion. It's fantastic because it's open to all different nationalities and ethnic groups. It's a way that we can unite the empire. And far and wide, we can have this global control with a, with a, a, a better... Because Rome was originally, hey, it's all pagan, and as long as, long as you worship the emperor, have whatever pagan religion you want. But now there's, he's figuring out if we get everybody to become Christian, we will actually have greater control over them and greater control over their souls and promising them heaven and, and punishing them with hell. And this is fantastic. And so he was never baptized until on his deathbed, uh, but he was not a Christian. But uh, he saw the power of Christianity to unite the emperor, emperor, empire. And so you know rather than honor the Sabbath, he switched to Sunday so that the pagans and the christians could all be united but here for if we are christians we're going to do what christ did and as his custom was he went into the synagogue to worship on the sabbath day the day that was declared holy from creation you you read genesis 1 and you'll see right there in genesis 1 that the sun and the moon were created as a calendaring system so that man would know the appointed times and one of these appointed times is the Sabbath. And then there are the annual appointed days. So, so, so there's the, the weekly, which we use the sun for. And then there's the uh, annual, which we use the moon for. And so these, these sun, the sun and moon are there as a calendaring system so that God's people would know the, the, the holy times. And then God is going to operate according to these holy times. But here he comes into the earth, which he created, and he has a custom to honor the holy time. We cannot make time holy. We can just decide whether or not we honor the holy time. And so he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, which was really the scroll. So they would have the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So we saw from the first part of the chapter when he's in the wilderness how specific the Lord was, how precise he was, that when when the devil is trying to outsmart him, he's very precise with the word of God. And now we see, again, he handles the the, the word of God very precisely. And so now he comes into Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue. And they hand him the scroll. And he searches in the scroll for a specific passage. And when he finds the passage, he reads it to them. the spirit of the lord is upon me so we saw that he was baptized the spirit of the lord came upon him and then he went into the wilderness and vanquished the devil through the spirit and then he came in the power of the spirit into galilee and now specifically he's come into nazareth into the synagogue there and he tell he he reads to them from isaiah now there's context to this he's actually reading from isaiah 61. But let's just and and really you should go and read the prophet isaiah and just see what because christ understood he was studying isaiah he was studying deuteronomy he was studying jeremiah he was studying all the torah and all the prophets and the psalms and the writings and so he understood the will of god precisely he takes a snippet from isaiah and reads it to them and then we're going to see where he says today this has been fulfilled in your hearing but he's withdrawing from isaiah back then they didn't have chapters and verses they just had the text and so he just has to quote that part of the text these are people who have memorized the text these are very knowledgeable people they know the te- they know the scriptures and so they understand the context we don't really understand the context we go in we just you know find chapter 61 verse 1 oh that's what he was reading then we jump out and we don't really know what else surrounds it But let's just pick up for a bit of context. We won't go all the way back, but we'll go to Isaiah 60, verse 10, and read into Isaiah 61 so we get the context of what he was quoting. Isaiah 60, verse 10, it says, And the sons of strangers shall build up your walls. So this is to Israel, that strangers who had persecuted them will come and build them up. The, the same way that the, the Gentile nations helped Solomon build the temple. And they were giving him gifts and everything so he could build the best of everything so he could build the temple. There's coming a time in the future that Isaiah sees, despite all the trouble that's going to come on Israel and Judah because of their, uh, their, their abomination, their sins, their unfaithfulness, their rebellion. Despite all of that, Isaiah sees a time in the future when the sons of strangers shall build up your walls and their kings shall serve you for in my wrath I smote you but in my favor have I had mercy on you this is the gospel this is the good news that these people who've been set aside by God who God has punished because of their rebellion it's not over because of the unconditional covenant to Abraham that God is gonna find a way To fulfill his covenant with Abraham without breaking the Mosaic Covenant he still has to fulfill the Mosaic Covenant and Christ is what enables him to do that so in my favor I've had mercy on you verse 11 therefore your gates shall be open continually so right there in the promised land in Jerusalem the gates of Jerusalem will be open they shall not be shut day nor night that men Gentile men may bring unto you the wealth of the Gentiles This this will be a nation of kings and priests that the Gentiles will bring wealth unto. And I just want to say for a moment, I had seen a video somebody sent me of some uh, black brothers uh, standing on the street preaching that they are Israel, and that God only cares about Israel, and that the black people are being deceived uh, by white people, and that it's the black people that are the true people of God, and that the rest of mankind God doesn't care about he only cares about black people and he's going to establish black people uh, and he's appealing he was talking to another black brother and saying you know you you are Israel you're, you're to have this glory this this is the work of the devil this is the work of the devil that and it's unfortunate that God it's unfortunate that mankind cannot handle this that God has chosen an ethnic people and that drives all the people that God hasn't chosen crazy and they have to destroy these people because they just can't stand it, or they have to then try to appropriate and and co-opt this thing to say God has chosen them. But also the people that God has chosen, they become very arrogant, and they think that they somehow are special and they're better than everybody else, And and they're exclusive, that God only cares about them and nobody else. Nothing could be further from the truth. God has chosen Abraham to redeem mankind. That's why he chose Abraham, because Adam failed. And so he chose Abraham who believed him and through faith became righteous to save mankind and that the, the whole purpose of this nation is to become a nation of priests a kingdom of priests and being a priest means you're going to facilitate the relationship between God and man so it is through the mechanism of Israel that God will save the whole world and you only have to go to the end of the book Revelation 21 and 22 and specifically in Revelation 21 you'll see that the Jerusalem comes down from heaven and the gates of heaven there are 12 gates each gate is a name of a tribe of Israel and all of mankind will come into this new Jerusalem through Israel and in Romans 11 we see that that's the plan of God that that the the Apostle Paul was the Apostle to the Gentiles because God has opened up the way of, of salvation to the Gentiles so we must let god do what he's doing here and 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 just see the the mystery and the wisdom of god and so here in uh, verse 12 of isaiah 60 for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish exactly we we the all of mankind must come into israel that that it's not that israel is somehow special it's just they they are chosen they're the ones that were chosen by god to facilitate the redemption plan yes those nations shall be utterly wasted The glory of Lebanon shall come unto you. The fir tree, the pine tree, the box together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. The whole world will know that God is the God of Jerusalem. God is the God of Judah. God is the God of Israel. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons also of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you. So Satan's going to work in the minds of men. There's going to be a a, a religion that's going to sweep the whole world that hates the Jew. Just as we saw hitler had to exterminate the jew we're going to see that all these nations are going to adopt a single religion and that religion hates the jew why because god has promised salvation to mankind through the jew christ himself said salvation is of the jews and that's so that he can save mankind but the devil doesn't want mankind saved so he's going to stir up ethnic hatred and jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies And they're going to try to destroy every Jew so that Satan wants that Christ cannot fulfill his promise to Judah. But God's going to step in. And the sons of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you. And all they that despised you shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas, verse 15, you have been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through you, I will make you an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Verse 16, you shall also suck the milk of the Gentiles. So, all the wealth of the Gentiles is going to flow into Jerusalem in their offerings. And you shall suck the breast of kings. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. That's who the true God is. He's the mighty one of Jacob. And any religion any ideology any philosophy that denies this is false god is the mighty one of jacob verse 18 violence shall no more be heard in your land in other words there's going to be a lot of violence in that land that land is going to be the focal point of satan's wrath and he's going to be using mankind and stirring them up to go into that land and cause all kinds of havoc And you only need to read Zechariah 14 to see the extent of the havoc that's going to take place in that land. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation, and your gates praise. This is the context now of Isaiah 61. Now we come into Isaiah 61 verse 1, which Christ was quoting in Luke 4. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Why? Because the Lord has anointed me to preach this good news. It's not just a random good news. It's this good news that violence will no more be heard in Jerusalem. It's this good news that the whole world will finally recognize that God is the Holy One of Israel. That God is the Mighty One of Jacob. And all Gentiles are going to recognize this, and they're going to come to Jerusalem with their offerings. And the gates of Jerusalem will be open continually. There'll be no need to have armed guards there, because God will be there. And this nation will be set up as a a kingdom of priests. And the nations will come with their offerings to this nation. That's the good news. It's not random good news. This is the gospel. So the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach this good news unto the meek. And and it's not if you're meek and you're in the middle of Timbuktu or you're in the middle of who knows where that this is good news. It's not it's not a general meek. It's the meek in Israel. Not the powerful. Not those that are colluding with the politicians. Not those that, not the religious people in power. It's the humble folk like Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's the humble folk like Joseph and Mary who are Torah compliant, but they're being oppressed by this empire of the devil. He's coming with good news unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. So Israel is constantly in this state of captivity. And when we we read in the future the prophecies of the future it's going to be horrendous but there's good news to the captives they will be set free and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the lord and then he stopped so he didn't read what was before and he doesn't read what's after he just stops here to say this now this is the part of this prophecy that's been fulfilled in your hearing i'm here now I'm I'm anointed with the Holy Spirit of God and I'm preaching the gospel, I'm preaching the good news to Israel, specifically to Judah, to say, good news, This, this is what's happening. And you're getting a foretaste of the kingdom through these healings, through these miracles, and through my preaching. What he didn't read was, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. So he's not yet focused on the day of vengeance. He's focused right now on being the perfect Israelite and preaching the good news and fulfilling the terms and conditions of the Mosaic Covenant so that he can rightfully inherit the land and enable this good news. And then he, but, but he didn't finish that when he comes back the second time, he's coming on the day of vengeance to bring down the Babylonian system and all those who oppose him. Verse 3 of Isaiah 61. appoint unto them that mourn so there's going to be a lot of mourning is it just generally speaking? No it's to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion and to give them beauty for ashes. So Zion is going to be full of ashes. It's going to be a burnt heap and he's coming to replace those ashes with beauty the oil of joy for mourning for those in Zion the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness if you're in Jerusalem if you're in Judah you're gonna be depressed you're gonna be depressed at, at just the the slaughter the wholesale slaughter of what's gonna happen in that land and God is coming to replace that spirit of heaviness with the garment of praise you will be a kingdom of priests that they might be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified that when the, this kingdom of priests which is open to gentiles god is not being uh ethnocentric here he's not being racist it's just his mechanism If, if if abraham was uh was japanese then we'd be talking about the japanese it has nothing to do with race here it has everything to do with abraham and the covenant with abraham and those descended from abraham which the whole world ultimately will be grafted into he says here, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. That's what priests do. They bring glory to God. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolation. So it's going to be the abomination of desolation. The hope it's just going to be overrun and destroyed. But they shall build up the, 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 the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the waste cities. You cannot destroy what God has ordained the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. And you know, the Jews will read this and think that somehow they're superior. Not understanding that this is the plan of God. And this is how the the, the recognition of the descendants, uh, the people of the covenant. The recognition of the people of the covenant is how mankind comes to redemption that when the people of the Covenant are acknowledged God is acknowledged and when God is acknowledged the way of salvation is open to everyone he says here verse 6 but you shall be named the priests of the Lord go back to Isaiah uh, to Exodus 19 Exodus 19 verses 4 to 6 where you see the, the 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 will of God to establish these people this peculiar people as a nation a kingdom of priests a nation of kings and priests and they failed But God has not failed. And so Christ came to earth to fulfill that covenant, that they shall be named the priests of the Lord. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. So they're going to come with their offerings, and you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory shall you boast yourselves. And and this includes all of the Christians today who are truly spirit-filled, And just as Luke, who's the author here, was grafted into Israel, so every true Christian, every true Christian who's in receipt of the Holy Spirit is grafted into Israel and will participate in this first fruits calling in order to save the rest of Israel and the rest of mankind, which is referred to as the fall harvest, which again, if you don't understand the Holy Days, you're not going to understand God's plan. And I did mention earlier the, um, the Sabbath. And write to us info, at CGI.org and ask for uh, our literature on should Christians keep Sabbath or Sunday? And that'll go into more detail. And And you, if you're a Christian and, and you're not sure about, you know, should you be worshipping on Sunday or should you be worshipping on the Sabbath? Isn't the Sabbath Jewish? Uh, write for this literature, info at CGI.org. Which day should Christians keep? The Sabbath or Sunday? So here now, uh, go. let's go back to... Um, Luke 4, so Isaiah 61, that passage now says, you shall be named the priests of the Lord. So when all of this comes to pass, you will be the priests of the Lord. Men will call you ministers of a God. You will eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall you boast yourselves. You will boast in their glory. Just as you saw the Apostle Paul boasting in the glory of the congregations that he looked after, these priests will will glory in the Gentile congregations that the in the Gentile countries that they'll be responsible for back to Luke 4 verse 20 he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to say unto them this day is the scripture is this scripture fulfilled in your ears so they uh, realize now they realize now that he wasn't just quoting this randomly. That he was quoting this because it's been fulfilled. And, and he, didn't, he didn't keep reading. So there's just that part has been fulfilled. So what we're going to do is we're going to stop there. I'm going to reach out to uh, Sister Avanel. And we'll just talk a bit about this. Next week we'll, we'll finish off. The, the rest of Luke 4 here is quite fascinating. Uh, but we'll, we'll do that next week. So uh, just give me a moment here. Hang on while we get Sister Avenel on the line. Mister are you there? Yes, I'm there. Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so that was Luke chapter 4. Uh, just wondering your thoughts and comments on that.
1: Um, on chap- Luke chapter 4? Yes. I thought we, we were supposed to be doing Matthew chapter 4. I came on a bit late
0: today. I see. Yes.
1: Because um, there was a mix-up mix with the time, because last week... They they started a bit later and, and I thought it was one thirty.
0: I see. But
1: um, yeah. So um, I followed up with Matthew, Matthew chapter four, not Luke. Yeah, but I think Matthew I thought,
0: Matthew four covers the same topic as well. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. I realized that because I was listening to you and I said, wait a minute, it's the same topic. Yes. So um, and so I have a few questions for you that pertains to both Luke and Matthew. Uh, Matthew. Perfect. And um, tell me, Brother Adrian, what is the Olivet Discourse?
0: The Olivet Discourse, that's, we're going to see that in um, Matthew, I think it begins in chapter 5, goes to chapter 7, and this is the, uh, where he starts where he says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. Mm-hmm. And he goes through what, what are called the Beatitudes. Yeah, and, and so he's sitting on the the mount of all of uh, the, the mountain, uh, uh, the Olivet mountain there, and he's explaining this to his disciples, and so they are coming to understand what God is looking for from them and how they are to be a very different type of people from what they may have thought.
1: Okay, so so Brother Adrian, so the bottom line is, um, everyone has sinned and needs to confess and repent, right?
0: Correct, yes.
1: And so let's think about um let's let's think about it. Confession, repentance, repentance. <coughs> Sorry. Confession is acknowledgement that you have sinned. Yes. And it deserves God's wrath, right? Yes. And repentance involves changing your thinking, which results in changing your life. Very good. Uh, and then baptism.
0: Very good, yes.
1: And what is this? Uh, okay, uh, can you uh, tell me what's the um, what does baptism symbolize?
0: Yes, very good. So, so baptism really, first of all, if we go to Acts 2, let me just go there and I'll just uh, read this hmm. passage to you. So in Acts 2, this is when... Um, the on the day of pentecost so the early church was keeping the holy days and they were gathered acts 2 verse 1 tells us that the so so when christ came after his resurrection he taught them for 40 days and you'll see that in acts 1 so he was on the earth for 40 days teaching them and making sure they were fully educated and in fact when when he appeared to them they asked him you know will you at this time restore the kingdom to israel so that was their expectation that he, as the Messiah, he's coming to restore the kingdom to Israel. And that's the gospel. That's, that's, what, yeah. that's what they were looking forward to. And so he told them, you know, yeah. it's not for you to know the time, but you'll be my witnesses. And then he tells, gives them their, their instruction. But they're to wait in, to, in Jerusalem until they receive power. So then they, they have another 10 days to go. So that's why Acts 2, verse 1 begins with, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So Pentecost means count 50. They had counted up to 40. Christ then left them. They had another 10 days to count. And then the day of Pentecost fully came. It says they were all with one accord in one place. They were observing the holy day of Pentecost. And yeah. so they kept these these annual holy days outlined in Leviticus 23. And so they received the Holy Spirit. And then uh, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave a very, very powerful, uh, very convicting sermon. And then they said... Um, their response to that was if you look at um, Acts 2 verse 37 now when they heard this so he really made it clear to them what they had done and who they had crucified when they heard this they were pricked in their heart mm-hmm. so there's this acknowledgement that they had sinned and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do <laughs> we, are, we are condemned people what, what what can we do to make this right then Peter mm-hmm. said unto them Repent, so so they first they acknowledged that they had sinned, so repent means now change, turn around. Uh, repent really means make a U-turn. Whatever direction you're going, it's not right. Turn around and go the other way. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this, this baptism then is, is an acknowledgement of their repentance and their new life in christ so paul says that the old man is buried so in, in the watery grave so when we are baptized we are really symbolizing our death with christ and coming up out of the water is our newness in christ we are now going to Amen. walk in christ
1: Amen. yes
0: and then we have so the laying on entirely, of hand and the receipt of the holy spirit sorry go
1: ahead yeah so brother is it entirely accurate to say that the word repent or the command, repent. Yes. Is the first word of the gospel. And I did so much, I did some reading this morning while you were talking, and I have learned so much from that. And sometimes we think we know a lot and we don't, <laughs> you yes. know? Yes. Because when I checked, repent was the first word of John, the Baptist. Yes. Of John the Baptist's Gospel in Matthew 3.12. Yes. Re- also, repent was the first word of Jesus' gospel in Matthew 4.14 and Mark 1.14-15. Repent was also the first word in the preaching um, ministry of the 12 disciples, Mark 6.12. Yes. And also, repent was the first word in the preaching instructions of Jesus. Which he gave to his disciples after his resurrection. Yes. Repent was the first word of exhortation in the first Christian sermon of Acts two thirty-eight. Beautiful. And again, repent was the first word in the in in the mouth of the apostle Paul through his ministry, Acts 26, 19 to 20. Yes, this is yes, amazing, Brother, yes. Brother
0: Adrian. Very, very good, uh, Sister Avenel. So, yeah, so, you know, if you look at Matthew, uh, you were looking at Matthew 4, but just in Matthew okay. 3, when he begins mm-hmm. his ministry, the first <laughs> words out of his mouth are, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at yes, hand. Yes. So it is all about, the, the gospel is all about the kingdom of God, and, and it's not a kingdom in heaven. It's not that we're going to heaven. It's a kingdom from heaven. And it is a kingdom that is coming to israel but the only way you can participate in this kingdom is if you are righteous and so we yeah. have to we have to repent the whole the whole the whole reason that uh israel was excluded from the kingdom the whole reason they were excluded from the land is because of their rebellion and so uh, for them to now be re they have to repent and anybody then who's going to be a part of this kingdom that's where we start. We we have to turn away from our rebellion against God.
1: Yes, absolutely. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. um can you tell us um, why John the Baptist refers to the Pharisees as a group of
0: vipers? <laughs> yes, um, I guess first of all because that's what they were. Um So, so actually, let's go there. That was in. um We saw that. Let me just find it for you quickly. But yeah, it's a very good question. So here in. um Luke three, we were there last week when he was um, uh, con- con- continuing with his ministry, and people were coming to be baptized. Then these religious leaders came to be baptized, and he said, then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And and Christ himself used this very same language. If you go to Matthew twenty three. He says, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? And if you read all of Matthew 23, you'll see that you know, the people who had a problem with Christ, the, the common people, they loved him. He was very popular with them. And so as he went around preaching his gospel, he had a lot of people following him and praising him and acknowledging him. Where he ran into trouble, first of all, we, we just read it, or we'll, we'll read it next week as well, um, when he came into Nazareth, where it, his hometown, and he says, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and among his own people. So they were too familiar with him to take him seriously, and they had a problem with him, and we'll, we'll see that next week. It was such a problem that they wanted to kill him. And then he left from preaching all around the, the areas of Judah to go specifically into Jerusalem and the religious leaders were in Jerusalem. And he basically challenged them and their religious control, religious and political control over the people. And that's, that's, you know, they were so corrupt. They were an extension of the Roman empire, which is a way of saying they were an extension of the devil's empire. And so he could just see straight through them. If you read all of Matthew 23, that is the introduction into Matthew 24. When he gives the prophecy, that Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies and and the, the abomination of desolation will take place. Jerusalem will be utterly destroyed. But he precedes that by saying, don't be deceived. So Matthew 24 is this constant warning for us not to be deceived about his return because after Matthew 23 and his scathing rebuke of these vipers, he says to them, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And then Matthew 24 is all about his coming, and and not to be deceived about his coming, because you would think, because of the punishment that's going to come on Jerusalem, you would think yes. that he's forsaken Jerusalem. But he yes. hasn't. Don't be deceived. No,
1: he hasn't. He hasn't. And Why um, why was Jesus called a stumbling block? Can you explain that to us, um, brother? He was called a stumbling block.
0: Yes, and I believe that was, was by, by by Simeon that said that uh he's he's going to cause that that even mary he said uh you you also everybody's heart will be examined because of this 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 man that has come into the earth which is god and so we all have this uh, solomon referred to it sister as the plague of the human heart and it's just the human condition and all of us all human beings have this we we're all plagued with this um human nature which which is so sin is so easily uh, can seduce us so easily and, and ensnare us so easily uh, and Christ he is calling us to true repentance to yeah. true righteousness and you know all of us are going to struggle with this desire we're going to have a, we're going to have this desire to be righteous we're also going to have this desire to be seen to be righteous. To seem to be righteous. righteous. And of the two, generally speaking, it's going to be more important to us that we're seen to be righteous. And we don't necessarily we don't necessarily deal with the nature that we have. And Christ is saying, I won't have that. I won't if you're coming to me, you come to me with a whole heart. The way King David sought me, that's how you must seek me, with your whole heart. And so so, yeah, so this is really uh for, for that's just for all of us, but then there are people specifically who want to follow this Nimrod agenda of having control of having control over others. And Christ yes, is coming to yes, crush that. Yes. And yes. so you're gonna see people just hating Christ's agenda because they've subscribed to Nimrod's agenda. So there's there's yes, and there's and that. The
1: Nimrod agenda was very interesting this morning. Very, it's, very interesting. It's powerful and, and it's thousands of years yes. old. So, brother, what similarity was there between um, Jesus's and Eve's temptation?
0: Sorry, say, ask me that again, sister. I didn't hear the you. The
1: similarities between, between Jesus's and Eve's temptation. Ah,
0: okay. Yes, actually, that's a great question. Let's go back to Genesis three because that's a really good question,
1: yes.
0: and and it's a very important question because sure. it's the same devil using it's the, the same same devil. same devil. That
1: is the, thing. It's the same devil, but. It's really, really food for thought
0: here. Yes, same devil using the same techniques. And so we need, to, we need to understand how he works. And so God gave Adam very clear instructions. If you see in Genesis 2 and verse 16, after God himself personally landscaped Eden. So God himself was on the earth. He personally landscaped the garden. And he landscaped it in such a way that he put two trees as the focal point. In the center of the garden, he put Mm -hmm. these two trees. Mm -hmm. And then he took the man and brought the man into the garden that he personally landscaped. And then in Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Verse 16, The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat if you don't have to work for it you don't have to pay for it yes. it's yours freely but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die so this is god is very clear He's, it's a clear yes, command yes. don't do this here are the consequences but then we see that um adam is alone Mm-hmm. So so Adam, he was alone when he got this commandment. God sees that it's not good for him to be alone. He gives him an assignment of naming the animals. And in, in naming the animals, he sees that all the, all the animals have a mate. And this accentuates and highlights his loneliness. And he now, now in, in, filling, in fulfilling this assignment, he is brought very clearly to the point of loneliness. And then it says here in verse 21 that God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and then God f- performed the surgery on him where he took one of the ribs and made the woman. So now Adam has been naming these animals and whatever he named them, that's the name they were given. So he had this sort of godlike responsibility to identify what is the unique characteristic of these animals and to name them accordingly and then he's brought Eve, so he's brought the woman. Adam said this is now bone of my bones. He understood that she came out of him. And flesh of my flesh, notice what he calls her, because he's naming all the animals according to their essence. He, has, he studies them, sees what their essence is, what is, it, what is it that's unique about them, and he gives them a name. He, give, he doesn't call Eve, Eve. That was not her name. Yeah. She, he, he, she shall be called, and the Hebrew is Isha, because she comes out of Ish. So oh. Eve's, Eve's name was Isha, here. And then he goes on to say that marriage is important and, and marriage will take place. Now this, verse 25 they were both naked, the man and the woman, and they were not ashamed. They, they would, In other words, there was lots of sexual activity between them. It wasn't a problem. The serpent was more subtle than any beast and he came to the woman and he challenged her. He says, you know, God said you shall not because he knew that she didn't get the command from God. She got it from Adam. So he says, shall you not eat of all the trees of the garden? And the woman now engages in this dialogue. And notice the technique that he uses. Because he contradicts, first of all, he contradicts the word of God. So we defend ourselves with the word of God. Eve did not defend herself with the word of God. She allowed him to contradict it. And then in verse um, 5, he says, you know in the day that you, God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. So the technique that he uses, number one, is to contradict the word of God. And then number two, self-interest, to appeal to self-interest. And, right. that's, that's, and so Christ defended himself by sticking to the word of God and yeah. not being interested in, in what, what is in it for him. So Eve yeah. took of the tree because of what was in it for her.
1: For her, yes. Yeah.
0: And, and all of us are, are being seduced by this, you'll, you know, this. Uh, if you look around the world, Marxism is going, it's, it's so popular now. The communism has utterly failed. There's no evidence of it ever working. All it, all it has brought is slaughter and subjugation of mankind. And yet it's popular because the governments say, we'll look after you, we'll give you checks every month. You, you, you'll have, it's just gonna be utopia. And so this appeal to self-interest is what gets people's attention and gets people's support and that's really the fundamental technique of the devil in fact in second peter 3 i believe it is he says that you know we uh, sh- we shall inherit or we've been given these great and precious promises so that we can overcome and we can inherit eternal life and not be caught up through the corruption that is in the world through lust it's in the world through self-interest self-desire yeah. I, i'm just watching the time sister and i'm just seeing we're just past uh, a bit past 2:30 did you have one uh, maybe oh, okay. last comment or question
1: Yes. Um, for me, yes. Um, well, uh, it will have to wait for next okay, week so if we have passed over time. All right. But I must say that this lesson today was very, very interesting, and I learned a lot from it.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Praise God. And uh, you know, th- 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 yes. line upon line, here a little, there a little. For precept must be upon precept. Yes, so let's continue to study God's word this way.
1: Yes, um, there's something I
0: have to say, but offline. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'll give you a shout in a bit then. Uh, yes, everyone, yes. God bless you. Uh, come back next week God and we'll continue everyone. with Luke yes. chapter 4. Thank you, Sister Evanel. God bless. Yeah.
1: Praise God.